We have one verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 16. Here we go. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. We actually have two verses. Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray today that you'd hide me behind your cross. Lord, all the things that can distract people from what you're saying, please, God, hide me. Because you have a message today for every heart. Help us, God. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church in this critical, critical hour. Critical hour in many of our personal lives, certainly in this nation. Make us part of your solution, we pray, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thinking right about people who aren't like you. So we're in a series called Thinking Right. And it's kind of a series within a series because we've been in Romans and Romans 12, 1 was in view of God's mercy... And, and Paul's gone on for 11 chapters about the mercy of God that has been offered in Christ and that it's God's express purpose to show mercy to the human race in Christ. And now in view of that mercy, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to live. That we are to live not in response to what's going on on earth or what has happened to us. We don't live in response to our wounds or our pains or our... We live in response to his mercy. And he, offer, he says in verse 1, to offer our bodies as t- to God in view of his mercy. And in chapter, in verse 2, he says, in view of his mercy, offer your minds. Don't be conformed to this world. Think differently than the world thinks and offer your mind to God. Because we need to be transformed in our thinking. We need to be rewired to think how God thinks. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. There's a way that seems right to us that leads to death. We, we need, this is why it's so important that we have humility about our own thinking. That just because you think something, just because you've thought it for a long time, does not mean it's right. And, and so we need to humble ourselves before the Word of God, before the Holy Spirit, and allow Him to change our thinking so that we can line up with God's redemptive purposes for the human race. So, turns out, Paul doesn't just say change your thinking, then he goes on to give four areas back-to-back of how to think. Last week, we talked about how to think about your part in the body of Christ, that we're part of a body. You you can't understand your destiny to just think of yourself as just you, just you or just you and God. It's you're part of a body and you, you need to, you need to understand that, own that, recognize that. 
This week, we're talking about thinking right about people who aren't like you. So point one is the call to like people who aren't like you. Paul says that we are to associate with people of low position. There are two types of people that have low position. One is certainly those that in the eyes of this world have economically a poor position. They're they're poorer than you are. They are below you in economic status. And that is certainly part of what he's saying here. But there's a second group he's talking about because this is all about stop being arrogant, proud, conceited, and you've got this other group of people that you think are lower than you. They're not lower than you, but you think they are because you puffed yourself up. And he says... (coughs) I want you to associate with these people, people that are actually maybe in a lower economic class and these people that you thought you were better than. So how do you, how do you get there? <coughs> the key is this verse. <clears throat> As Christ... Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, what if somebody said to you, I want you to know that I love you. I also have to be honest, I don't like you. I love you, but I don't like you. Wouldn't that feel like rejection? Wouldn't that feel like the kind of person that you wouldn't spend free time with? I mean, if you have to work with them, that's one thing, because we live in a world where you got to work with people that, but the, the number one quality we look for in a friend is somebody that likes us. And it's funny, if they like us, it's amazing what we'll overlook. They can be a bank robber, and they're still our friend. Because we know everybody doesn't necessarily like us, but when somebody really, really likes us, we can forgive a lot in them. A lot of people think God loves them. Because he has to. But he doesn't like them. Because they haven't been good, because they're not this enough, that enough. And if that's how you feel about God, or that's what you think God is feeling about you, you're not going to want to spend a lot of time with him, because he doesn't really... You two don't really get along, and he doesn't really like you. He more like tolerates you because he has to, and Jesus went to the cross because he had to, and, and, and you just get into this, this warped feeling about God. This thing all starts with how you feel, how you think God thinks and feels about you. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. 
My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves. As a father, the son he delights in. I want you to think about that word delights for a moment. Did you know that you don't irritate God? Did you know that when God corrects you, it's not because he's irritated with you? It's not because you disgust him and he, he can barely tolerate your presence. So he's trying to make you better so he can be around you. That is absolutely not in it at all. You are the delight of God. So I was with a young dad this week. He told me I could share his story. And his five-year-old daughter recently, who he absolutely loves and delights in, he comes downstairs and he catches her in the act of punching her three-year-old brother, whom dad also delights in. He has witnessed this. She has been caught in the act. And so he says to her, honey, you need to take a time out. So she goes over to the corner to take a time out. And when the time out is over, as is his habit, he invites her to come now and sit on his lap so they can talk about what happened. But she's very hesitant to come. And the reason why is because she, she's a tender heart and she took dad's correction as if it was rejection. And so he's inviting her, but she doesn't want to come. She doesn't know if that's a safe place for her because she's not, she's not confident. And so he's wooing her. Come on, sweetheart. Come on. Daddy's not mad. Come on. And finally, she gets up on his lap and they talk together about why that was wrong and and what she needs to do now to make it right. And so she goes over to her three-year-old brother and says she's sorry and asks his forgiveness. And of course, he said, you know, now you say, I forgive you. And he's like, I forgive you. And, And all's well, all's right with the family again. To dad's delight. God does not just love you. He totally likes you. He accepts you as is. There is so much power in receiving God's Acceptance. It's actually the key to, to us being healed, is to see that God accepts us. There's a lot of pain out in this world right now. There's a lot of angry people. 
a few weeks ago. We had Tom Alexander speak here, and um, afterwards, after the second service, I was going to take him out to Noodles, and we were in two different cars, and uh, my girls were all coming to the evening service, so I had to leave a voicemail with them, join us at Noodles if you want to, and I get... I'm pulling into the Noodles Park. So I'm by myself. Tom's coming separately. I pull into the Noodles parking lot, and I see our car there. So I'm assuming the girls are already here. And I'm looking for a parking spot. The place is just jammed. The whole parking lot is jammed. And somebody is pulling out, and there's somebody on this side waiting for that spot. And there is this very determined young lady that I can tell is going to steal that spot. She is, she is ready to get in there before he can. And I just, I don't want any part of this. So I just drive past the whole thing. I park in the far back. I just, and I'm, I'm walking in church. It's been a great morning in the presence of God. I'm, I'm, I'm just excited about um, what God is doing. And, but as I'm walking into Noodles, this young lady that had been driving is walking past me and she's cussing she's swearing she is spitting angry I'm like dear lord help her (laughs) and I I go into noodles and I'm looking for my family and they're not there it's confusing because the car's right up front Derek is there and I'm like Derek have you seen any of my family, and she, he, 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 well, we were very late in getting there. He said, maybe they went over to Starbucks. So I leave Noodles. I go over to Starbucks, and this lady that I just passed is inside Starbucks. She is not in line. She's just standing in the entryway, and she's just crying. And I put a hand on her back, And I say, miss, are you okay? She said, I am not okay. Why do people have to be so mean? And she's just openly crying all alone in Starbucks. Starbucks is crowded. How many know you can be all alone in a crowded place? (laughs) And she's just crying. And I say, honey, would you mind if I had a short prayer for you right now? She says, go ahead. And I just put a hand on her back. And I pray for God's love to fill her up. I pull out the arrow of whatever it was. I give her a hug and I leave. And I've thought a lot about that incident because the number of things that had to happen for that exact experience to happen, only God could have set it up. I had been in view of his love. I I came right out of a church service in view of his love and of his acceptance. And it was the easiest thing in the world to love on this girl. So did you know that these people are all around us right now? People are very angry. And a lot of times what's under that anger is... Fear. And there is tremendous power in loving people and accepting people and not immediately rejecting them because they've got, they've got an edge on them. 
the early fathers, one of the early fathers said this, be kind. Everyone you know is in a fierce battle. Everyone you know is in a battle, a spiritual battle. There's, there's demons around them. There's people around them. There's failure. There's disappointment. There's, there's culture. There's all kinds of things going on, and people tend to put their best foot forward, but don't be deceived. There's a fierce battle being waged over every human being. So let, let's talk just a moment about how rejection works. Because I think you can, you'll understand a lot more about society, even about ourselves, when you see how rejection works. Okay, so I've got, let's just say I've got a rejection wound. I've been rejected. I've been rejected by my dad. I've been rejected by uh, a friend. I've been rejected by somebody of another race. Or I have felt rejection. So here's how it works. When you get near me, if I sense you might reject me, the way I protect myself is rejecting you first. See, then I don't hurt because I I don't allow you to hurt me because I reject you for I hurt you before you can hurt me. That's how rejection works. And acceptance works exactly the opposite. Acceptance heals. So there's a man in the Bible, Luke chapter 19, and he has been rejected as a Jew. He's been rejected by all of his countrymen because he is a tax collector and he's working for Rome, which is already a betrayal. And then he's not only, he not only working for Rome, he got rich off of this. And so he is literally oppressed the, the people of Israel and became a wealthy man at their expense. And so he's just hated. He's also very small of stature, which can also it's amazing different things that people carry around and feel rejection for. And so he's also short and he, there might've been some rejection of that. We don't know, but he climbs a tree when he wants to see Jesus. Is he climbing the tree because he's short or because no one wants him around? We don't know. Here's what we do know. Jesus stops at this tree. He looks up and he says, the key has come down from there. Today, I have to have dinner at your house. That doesn't sound that big of a deal to us, but in that culture, that is the ultimate expression of I accept you, to come and eat at somebody else's house. They, Jews couldn't even eat at Gentiles' houses because that was saying we accept you. He says, I need to, and the Bible says this, Every one of them grumbled. Not just the Pharisees, his own disciples. They're all grumbling. This isn't right. It's not right. Listen to the power of this acceptance. Listen to the, listen to the wound of rejection immediately being healed. God just heals him through this act of acceptance. Zacchaeus gets down from the tree and he turns to Jesus And says, I'm going to sell half my goods. I'm going to pay back everybody that I have wronged. 
whatever he says, twice what they, they, da-da-da-da-da. Wow. So a week ago, Friday night, we were in Duluth. I was speaking for the 100th year anniversary. My daughter and son-in-law came with Alice and I, and um, it had been a long night. It was a beautiful night. The older saints had come up, and, and we prayed for them, and then they prayed for all the younger saints, and, and, it was, and so we had been just loving on young people, praying for young people all night, just been in the love of God all night. It's about 10, 15 when we get out of there, and we're hungry. And so we go to Subway near the hotel we're staying at, and it is 10.15, it is empty, there's not, an, uh, there's not a soul in there except for us, and there is this young lady working named Laisha. she's got a name tag that says Laisha, and she is something else making sandwiches, she just, it's like a machine, I mean, I just like, you know, boom, 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 and so Josh just says, you are you are really good at making sandwiches. And she says this. She says, and she says, and oftentimes, she said, and nobody knows this, but oftentimes I cry before I, I come into work. She says, but I get it. People have to work. People have jobs. And just because it's hard doesn't mean you don't have to work. And so she's like, you know, that's just, that's just life. And so I, my sandwiches last. I'm getting ready to pay. And, and I, say, uh, I say, well, I'm trying to find something positive. It's almost 10 there. I said, I bet you get to go home soon. She said, I don't leave here until 1230. She said, and then I have to get up early because I have a little girl that I have to take care of. And then I'll have to do the same thing tomorrow. And I, my heart is just broken. I'm just like, Laisha, what's your, what's your daughter's name? And she tells me her daughter's name. And I said, would you mind if I had a prayer for you right now? She says this. I knew you were Christians. I, I, I knew, I knew you were Christians. She said, I'm a Christian too. Yes, go ahead and pray for me. So, so we, so we're feeling liberty. So we pray for her and we are leaving the store. We're, we're on our way out and she calls this out to us. Thank you for restoring my faith in humanity. Once again, and I just think it was a divine setup. The store's empty. We have come right from viewing his mercy, experiencing his acceptance, and and it was so little. It wasn't even bold. I mean, there's nobody, there was no chance being taken. It just, it just happened. And that little act brought healing to a human heart. Guys, God is wanting to raise us up. 
You don't, we're not being asked to do huge things, but we are being asked to like people as God has liked us. So you have to give up the myth. The great myth in Christianity is I have to love everybody, but I don't have to like everybody. Stop it. Stop giving yourself permission to not like some people. You are, you are being called to like everybody as Christ has liked you. Sorry. Let's move on. Point two. So point one was the call to like people who aren't like you. Here, here's, here's point two. The call to befriend the poor. Say, not just give them a handout where you're above and you're handing something below, but embracing the poor, becoming friends with the poor, recognizing it's not a one-way street, it's a two-way street. As you give something, maybe material, they've got something to give back. You say, well, what could they give us? Listen to James 2.5. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? Poor, listen, in the eyes of the world. What does he say? In view of God's mercy, don't be conformed to what the world says, to how the world sees. I'm asking you to see something different. So in the world's eyes, there are rich and there are poor. God doesn't look that way. God looks at hearts and he says the poor are often rich in faith. If you've ever been to a third world country and done ministry to Christians in other countries, you will find this is so, so true that these people have not, oftentimes our kids will come back from a mission trip and say, oh my, we have so much here. And yet these people have nothing and they're so happy and they're so committed to Christ and they're so, and it just, just being around them enriches you. Here's the church at Smyrna, which is one of the only two churches that's not rebuked in Revelation. Jesus is speaking directly to them. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Jesus knows everything that's going on in you and me. He knows every suffering that we have had. Just because things are bad outwardly does not mean that we cannot be rich. Every son and daughter of God is a favored son and daughter of God and has an inheritance that includes all of heaven. So after uh, this, earlier this year, after Belize, I went directly to Mexico and got to be with Noe and Holly Clemente, and they've got five children and they're, they're just delightful, and Noah had me set up to speak a number of places, and so we're at this, their church, I'm going to speak to their leadership, they're going to do a question answer thing, but before they do that, they're having this leaders meeting, so I am 
And there's no reason for me to be in that meeting. I don't speak Spanish. I wouldn't understand a word they're saying. I said, do you mind if I just kind of hang out with the kids in the sanctuary? So I'm in the sanctuary. The boys have got their own thing going on. And I'm playing with Kaylee and Aislinn. They're, they're 10 years old and 8 years old. And we're, we're in the sanctuary because they're in this leadership room. And I'm like, why don't we play church? And they're like, how do, how do you do that? I said, you guys, you guys sit in the second row there. So they're sitting there, and I'm the pastor up front. And I said, and, 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 and so I'm like, and I'm pacing back and forth just like this. I said, could we, could we please have every head bowed and every eye closed? So they, they bow their heads. Closed. I said, there are some of you, there are some of you here right now that need to come to Jesus. Where are you? Would you raise your hands right now? If you need to come. So they raise their hands. I said, oh, you too. I see those hands. Come on up here. And I do a little prayer leading them to Christ. And then they go back and sit down. They're just loving this. I said, okay. They're, and I do another. Could we have every head bowed? And, and I do water baptism. Some of you need to be water baptized. You've confessed Christ. You need to now. And could we. Could, raise your hand. You need to be water baptized. They raise their hands. And I'm like, come on, you too. I see your hands. Come on up here. And we do the water baptism. And, and they're, they're just, they're just want to do it again. And so. So I do this, so I, and I'm not thinking, I'm not planning any of this, but I said, there are some of you here, and you know who you are. You are called to preach the gospel. You are called to speak for Jesus. You know who you are. Your hearts are pounding right now. Would you raise your hand? So they both raised their hands, and I said, you two, come on up here. Come on up here. And so, uh, so I, I pray for them, and then I say, okay, well, now it's your turn. And so I give the, the microphone to Kaylee, and I go sit down with Aislinn. We're, we're in the row now, and Kaylee starts preaching. She's 10 years old, and she says this. She says, we have some neighbors that are very very poor and they don't have anything and they come over to our house and we we let them play with our toys and we play with them in fact they have become our friends and we bring them in afterwards and and have Kool-Aid together and she says this she says every human being has value and is loved by God. She said, now some of you out there, you have people that are worse off than you. Some of you, some of you, she said, could we have every head bowed? Some of you, some of you, some of you out there have people that are worse off than you. Could I see your hand? So I've got my hand up. She's got her hand she said, I want you to, I see those hands. Come on up here. And here's what she says. She gives me the microphone. She says, now tell me what you're going to do for those that have less than you. Okay, for starters, she redefined the poor. 
It, it, when you've got this idea, yeah, we need to be kind to the poor. It's so easy to have the poor be somebody that you don't know, somebody that's way out there. Here's the poor. Anybody that's got it worse off than you. There are people with health problems that are poor, poorer than you are because they're suffering every day with a health issue. There are people that are poor because they've had emotional wounds and they are wounded and they are bitter. They are the poor. There are people that have anxiety disorders and they've got they're not quite there mentally and they, they don't know how to socialize with people and they stick out and nobody wants to be their friend because they're kind of obnoxious and, and that's the poor. That is the poor. And all of a sudden, if you redefine who the poor are by simply somebody that's not as well off as you, they're all around. And Jesus wants to know, will you love them for me? They are valuable and they are loved. Who will do something for them? Let's move on. Point three, last point the call to renounce prejudice. First, we have race prejudice. This whole letter has been talking about Paul is addressing a division of Jews and Gentiles. In, in Romans chapter 2, 1 through 4, he just lets go on the Jews. He has described all of the horrible sins of the Gentiles in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, he just goes off on the Jews and says, you know, you guys judge everybody. You think you're better because you have the law. And you actually, in your heart, you do the same things. Let go of your Judgments, And then in chapter 11, he speaks to the Gentiles. And I want to read this to you because we're, if you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. Here, here's what he says. Romans 11, 19 through 22. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. One translation says, be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. This is, this is at the end of the mercy. Mercy, 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 mercy. Why is Paul so strong here? What is he addressing here? Why would, he, why would Paul ever say to somebody, be afraid? Here's, here's what's going on. He says, some of you have it in your head that you are chosen by God because you're better than somebody else. And that thinking... The idea that you're better than another race, than another people group, than another, that you are better. He says, you are in danger of losing your salvation because this, this, you totally have misunderstood God and the human race. The gospel is this. We are all equally guilty before God. There's no one better than somebody else. 
We are all equally guilty. We've all sinned, not in the same way, but we've all sinned. We are all equally valuable to God. And we are all equally loved by God. And the cross, the cross equalizes everything with every single human being. Whatever is true about you is also true about every human being on the planet. And if you get it in your mind that that's not how it is, that somehow God chose you because you're clever or smart or a little better than everybody else or the right color, you need to be afraid. That is not the gospel. That is contrary to the gospel. So today we've got racial prejudice all around us. The most significant right now is what's happened with African Americans and the police and Black Lives Matter. There's a whole movement of anger, fear. And it's caused a tremendous divide in our country. I don't know that I've seen it more clearly than in my friend Bishop Harold Rayford. He is a, a black pastor in town, and he is, he is on the board for the police. And, of course, he's African-American. He leads an African-American church. And he, he was telling us, I, I'm getting stoned from both sides. If I, if, I, if I defend the police, if I stand with the police and, and authority, and, and, and then, I'm, then I have forsaken my people. And if, I, if I'm with my people and I'm, I, I'm, I'm sharing the wound, and this is, this is what this is coming out of, and try to give understanding, now I'm against the police. I'm getting it from, from both sides. So he calls this prayer meeting. For, for not just the African-American ministerium, but for all the different ministeriums in town and, and the police force. And it happens to, he schedules it from noon to one on the day of our conference, Intimacy with God conference. And he, it just could not be a worse time. Not only do I have a conference that I'm supposed to be at, but Saturday morning I'm speaking at the conference. And he scheduled, this prayer meeting gets scheduled 12 to one and he looks at me I I just love this guy. And he says to me, I need you to be at this prayer meeting. I need you to be there. And I'm just like, there's no way that I'm going to say no to him. This, This is my brother. And I say, bro, I will be there. I said, I will be there 15 minutes late. There's no way I can be there on time because I'm, I'm in the middle of a conference. But I want to stand with you. Yeah. You need and I need to go out of our way to love people And delight in people that are a different color than you. Why? Because there's already in the air this idea, this suspicion that you don't like me. That you're you're against me. 
And so there's, there's an edge in our country right now, isn't there? In view of his mercy, love each other, like each other. The enemy is going about sowing suspicion, fear, hatred, bitterness. It's time for the church to rise up and love people past their pain, love people past their fear, love people past their suspicion. Well, Pastor Tom, what if they don't, what if they don't like me? Expect that and get ready to draw a bigger circle that has them in it. They've excluded you, now accept them. We're we're the agents of his healing. Otherwise, we end up being part of the problem. And it's it's even worse when you're a Christian. When you're a prejudiced Christian, you have just put God's name on your prejudice, and it's it's twice as bad. Because now you're making God look bad. You're making Christianity look bad. And then the last... The last prejudice is, that I'm going to talk about today is moral prejudice. Here's what the older brother says to the father. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Watch this. Watch what the father does. My son, the father said. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Do you see what the older brother's doing? He has dissociated himself with the the brother that has failed morally. He he, He won't call him my brother. He's your son. And do you see what the father does? The father comes back and says, hey, I love you. You're with me. Everything I have is yours. But your brother, he's not just my son. He is your brother. And he has come home. And we need to embrace him. And we need to rejoice with him. It is so easy when people aren't like you to put them in a little slot. They've got tattoos. They've got piercings. They've got piercings not just on their nose. They've got piercings on their tongue. (laughs) It's not right. I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now that's not right. Just, just so we get this, this isn't one way. It is very easy for people with tattoos and piercings and to have the exact same moral superiority to people that have three-piece suits, that are the establishment, that are, that are horrible people because they have whatever. So let me tell you about, this is my last thing, about how City Church started. We had received a prophetic word. 
we got together, the two elder boards, Lake City's elder board, Man City's elder board, and decided there wasn't really enough to act on it. We were, they were a little suspicious because Brian White, who had the word, is my friend, and you know what? We just need a little more before we do this thing. And, and so we, we backed away from the word, which I was, I was frankly happy to back away from because in September of 2005, when I was still in Montevideo, I had received a word from the Lord. I wrote it down in my journal that Mad City and Lake City were going to come together, and it was going to be called City Church, and it was going to be a sign in the city. And so when I came in 2007, I thought this was going to happen, and we actually tried a few things to do a few things together. And then I had become absolutely convinced that this was that that when God said, I'm going to bring them together, he didn't mean organizationally. We don't have to come together organizationally. In the spirit, we're called City Church. In the spirit, we are one. And John Ruck and I, he was the interim pastor. We were just great friends, loving each other. But the reason why I backed away from it, the cultures were so different. Just to give you a few things, Mad City worshiped in the dark. They had giving boxes. They, they, everybody came in jeans and shorts and very, very casual. They could bring drinks and food into the, into the sanctuary. The sanctuary was a gymnasium. Everything about it was really, really casual. And it was Mad City, a message of mercy for Madison. And that's what Mad City was. It was about mercy. And it was, the, it was filled with people that had come out of drugs, celebrate recovery, all kinds of brokenness. And that's just what it was. And Lake City was just, it was just different. They, they, they had the lights on. They, 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 they had offerings. They had had offerings since 1927, every single Sunday. They were mature. They were about mission. It was mission, mission, mission. Their missions conference was the highlight. Missions, it was run by missions and responsibility. And, and you try to put these two cultures together now. See, if you're a person in the pew... The idea that there's a few differences and we're going to just bring them together, that might sound somehow warm. (laughs) When you're in the ministry and you've seen churches split over the color of the carpet or who gets to choose the color of the carpet, the idea of bringing something together is very, very unattractive. Now, to, to give you a little insight into who I am personally, Lake City also had a lot of debt, and it was a lot of financial problems, and I just, I hate when church has to be about money, and that every, we, and every Sunday there's this pressure lurking over everybody about money, and Mad City just didn't have those problems, and I, there was just nothing that I wanted to do, and so what happened is, as we went into 2010, some, some supernatural things did happen, and I went, and talk to John, and we're like, we need, to, we need to revisit this. And at the National Convention, we get together with Pastor Heckman and Tom Alexander and, and tell them the story, and they lay hands on us, and they just give their blessing for us to go forward. Because at this point, the two elder boards have not met. And we're, I'm on my way home. This is 2010, spring of 2010. And I tell God, I can't do it. I can't do it. And here was why. Here was why. Both congregations had experienced so much pain 
at the hands of leadership that I just, I cannot be part of like starting this process and then if it doesn't happen, we've just wiped out people that have already, they already struggle with leadership. And I'm like, "I, I just, I can't do it. I said, unless you give me something else, it has to come from heaven. You have to give me something from heaven or I can't go forward. So here's what happens. I've got three minutes to tell you this. <laughs> so there's three stories in Luke 15. The first one is a shepherd who, who gets a lost sheep back and has a party. And it's clearly about the joy of this shepherd. The second one is this lady who finds her lost coin, and it's clearly about the joy of this lady. And the third story is about the prodigal, the prodigal coming home, but it's not about the joy of the prodigal. It's about the joy of the father. But Luke 15 ends, and the father's joy is not full. Because even as he goes out to the prodigal, because he loves the prodigal, he also goes out to the older brother because he loves the older brother. And the older brother is not in the party. And the father's joy will never be full until his sons are both in the party embracing one another. And the Lord speaks to me. And he says, Mad City Church is the prodigal son. Lake City Church is the older brother and I am bringing them together for my own joy. The reason why I knew it was God is because that, the thought of how God felt about it, never had, had never entered my mind. It was about people. It was about people. And then I get these two truths. He didn't speak them to me. I just knew them. One, the mark of city church was going to be joy. And secondly, that we were going to be given authority to bring older brothers and prodigals together all over the body of Christ because we had actually done it. Could we stand together, please? Would you mind just just opening your arms like this, closing your eyes? I just call this the receive position. And Lord, we're hurting. We're hurting individually often. We're certainly hurting right now as a nation. All of the political stuff has not served in any way to help anybody be healed. It has actually made the wounds deeper, the anger stronger. But it's okay because your answer was never politics. Your answer was your church. You said, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the strategies of hell will not overcome her. And Lord, you know the strategies of hell. They have sown division and hatred and suspicion and all kinds of stuff in this country. And Jesus, you have a strategy too. Your strategy is that you would so love us 
that you would so convince us that you like us, that you delight in us, that even when you correct us, it's not because we irritate you, but be, we are your delight. You want us to get better for our sake. And you also want us to stop punching our younger brother. Because you delight not just in us, you also delight in that younger brother. Jesus, you know every hurt that is here. You know every rejection that is here tonight, God. You know everybody that cries before they go to work because they don't want to go to work because it's hard and they've got people they're supposed to be taking care of and they want to spend their time somewhere else. You know every disappointment in this place. You know every story. And you are involved in every story. You're here today, right now. Jesus, would you heal us? It says you're anointed to bind up the brokenhearted. Would you? We give you our wounds. We give you our darkness. We give you our hatred. We give you our fear. We give you our suspicion. Jesus, would you just love on your people right now? And if you don't know Jesus, just call on him right now. Just call on him. He's knocking on your door. He loves you. He's not trying to get rid of you. He's done everything. He's died on a cross to forgive you, to bring you in. He created you and he redeemed you. He has set the highest value on you, his own life. Jesus. In just a few moments, we're going to leave this place and we're going to go to places like Noodles and Subway and wherever else we go. Some of us are just going to go home and some of us are going to go to a gas station. And Jesus, everyone we meet that's there is in a fierce battle. They don't look like it. They're all dressed up and working and professional. Would you make us conduits of your love? Could there be a smile on our face because you like them and we're trying to like them? We give you our permission that we gave ourselves to not like some people. We, that's off the table. I like everybody now because that's the mind of Christ. I like black people. I like white people. I like Asians. I like Latinos. I like, I like people. And God is calling me to lay it down. And I'll tell you what, folks, he's going to test you this week. If there's people that you haven't liked, he's going to bring them around you. They're going to be in your face all week long. And he's going to say, come on, come on. You prayed on Sunday. Step up. Step up. Now, Lord, you're doing something at City Church. It's not just individual. There's something corporate happening here. You brought us together for your own joy. It brings you joy when the older brother and the prodigal aren't judging each other. They're hugging each other, loving each other, giving room for each other, and frankly, partying together about God's grace. Isn't God good? We love you, Jesus. Make this church part of your solution in this world, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Woo! Woo!